The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to the show. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we have a fabulous program planned. So we're going to talk about trust. Now, everybody I know believes that trust is crucial to business success. We all know that, and we also all know how quickly and easily trust is broken. And everyone I coach, everyone I deal with, I honestly believe sincerely tries to create trust in their relationships on a regular routine basis. I can tell you that a lot of my clients have trust as part of their mission statement and their values. They have it plastered on the walls, and I think they genuinely mean it. I also know a couple of clients who are on an absolute mission to increase the trust within their organizations as a competitive advantage. So now we know that that's all that important. Now, two parts of this I find fascinating. The first off is if I were to ask you exactly what it is you had to do in order to build greater trust, I think we'd come up with a fairly limited answer. So we're going to focus on that one. Second thing, an interesting tidbit today, I was reading a blog with a top 10 interview questions. And one of those interview questions, one of the top 10 is the following. What happened the last time you let someone down? The implication being, in spite of all this focus on trust, we still fall short of the mark of what we really believe. So with me today is Roy Reed. Roy's a leading authority on public relations and business. He's a counselor, strategist, and coach to a lot of Fortune 500 companies. Uh, Trust Him Across America, Trust Around the World, named him as one of the top 100 thought leaders influencing trusted business behavior. He's a sought-after speaker, and he is the author of Outrageous Trust. So, Roy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate being here. Glad to have you. Looking forward to talking about this. Now, I want to get into tactics about how what it means trust and why it's so hard to do this and what we need to do. But I am intrigued by your title, Outrageous Trust. What led you to call it Outrageous Trust and to do this kind of work? Well, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, your introduction was spot on, and it's within a lot of the elements that you point out that really moved me to use Outrageous as my title, and in and, uh, and big part because we assume trust way too much in our lives. We we hand it over oftentimes without checking it, and, and we assume others will trust us because, quote-unquote, we're a good person, and we don't get as intentional or mindful as we should. 
And so I don't want people to settle for average here. I want them to push the boundaries. I want them to, to extend to a place with being intentional that is truly outrageous, that truly breaks with the norm and pushes to the next degree in terms of the trust that, that they're striving for. Uh, in the environment we live in today, uh, we're under constant scrutiny. Uh, there's a demand for such greater transparency by all constituents that we have, whether in business or our personal lives. And we see this happen and play out day in and day out. So leaders have to take that extra measure. And how I got here, well, I've been in the communications business for about 25 years. I've spent most of that time doing crisis and issues management. And so I had a front row seat with organizations that were going through some of the most difficult times in the difficult places. A lot of time in healthcare where day in and day out you have to really earn the trust that you have with your patients, with your community, and the people that you work with just to deliver that job. And so motivated by those professional factors, I found that if I could get to a leader, if I could get into an organization before something happens, if we could work to become more mindful and intentional about trust, we were far better off when we were facing a difficult situation, both internally and externally. And I like to tell people a, a little story when I'm speaking to a group. I had the opportunity, wanted to speak to wonderful organizations on a regular basis about this. and. And I usually begin by talking about my daughter. Um, I'm very blessed to have a great family. I have four beautiful children and been married to my wife for all those 25 years. And we have four boys or three boys and a little girl. And so you can imagine being the youngest and the only girl, how she really rules the roost in our house. And I came home one weekend, uh, in fact, about a month from going into my first big speech on this topic, and my daughter had turned our dining room into a bracelet factory. And you know what I'm talking about, those little plastic beads that are a safety violation because once you step on them, they embed themselves into your foot. And <laughs> she had the whole place going on. And she ran up to me, and she had made this beautiful bead bracelet and had my name spelled in the middle and said, Daddy, will you wear this bracelet? And, of course, I said, absolutely. Put the bracelet on, and the whole weekend I was show and tell. Everywhere we went, she showed me off and, and really wanted people to see that bracelet. So the weekend comes and the weekend goes, and it's time on Tuesday to get ready to go to work, and I've got to put a suit on and give a big presentation. So I put the bracelet on the dresser and head off to work. Well, I got home that night, and I'm helping my wife out in the kitchen. Faith still has the bracelet factory going on in the dining room, and she comes running into the kitchen. She's got another bracelet in her hand. It's different colored beads, and she looks at me, and I'm thinking to myself, I only have so much arm to give. She hands me the bracelet and says, Daddy, if you don't like the other bracelet, will you wear this one? And I was <laughs> devastated. I was crushed. Here I am, this expert in communications and relationships, and here I've blown it with my seven-year-old daughter because I wasn't thinking from her perspective she saw the bracelet on the dresser. The only conclusion she could come to is, I must not like it because I'm not wearing it. And so I put it on, and I wear it every day for two reasons. One, because I told her I would. And now that she's 14, she kind of gets embarrassed when I tell the story, but I keep the bracelet on every day. But two, and more to the point of our conversation, it reminds me that trust isn't one big thing. 
it is comprised of all the little things that we say and do every day in our interactions with other people. And if we're more mindful and intentional about each of those things, then over time we develop an outrageous level of trust and one that's there with us in good times and in bad. So if I can encourage people on one thing as we talk today, it's to, it's to take the small things we talk about and begin to apply them in their lives, both personally and professionally, because trust becomes our legacy, and it's the thing that people rely on and lean on when they come to us and ask us to do things. Wow, that's a powerful story. I love that. And trust becomes our legacy. Um, I have to say that, you know, could, people who listen to the show regularly will know that I have a bit of a passion about diversity and creating inclusive cultures. Mm. One of the things when I find a diverse candidate, whether that's a female, um, an LGBT member, or some mm. other racial minority who's having a fabulous experience, in their careers, really thriving, one of the critical distinguishing factors is there is a deep-seated trust between that person and a manager or at least another superior. And it is so important. Those every single day is so fragile. Once that's broken, though, you've lost their engagement. So we're back to it is a legacy and it is the things that you do every single day. Mm -hmm. So now, Roy, with that in mind, let's talk specifically about what is it that leads people to trust me? Or more importantly, what do I need to be doing and thinking about to increase the levels of trust? Sure, absolutely. And and I tell you, I, I love your passion. I share that. Uh, I was just this morning working with a dear friend of mine who uh, we're working on a program right now uh, to be able to go out and talk to organizations about inclusion and diversity and, and the issues like that. And so uh, it's, a, it's a passion of mine to help level the playing field for everybody uh, in the community and the workplace. What I normally will ask people to do in a workshop is to think of the two or three people they trust the most and to jot those names down. And then next to those names, write down two or three attributes, one-word attributes as to why they trust them the most. And after a few minutes, we go through all of this, and, and I ask them just to call out the words. And inevitably, the words fall into two buckets. They fall into a bucket of emotion and a bucket of experience. And so right out of the gate, trust is built on two drivers, one that we connect with very much on an emotional level and an experience level. And so, for example, I think there are people in our lives that may lean toward one or the other. There are people in my life, personally, that I have a great emotional connection to, deep understanding. I trust them with my secrets. They can come over to my house and watch my kids and and I don't worry about the relationship I have with them at that level. And then there's people that I trust on an experiential level. At work, there may be a vendor or a contractor that I'll use to do a job because every time they do it, they do it perfectly. They do it well. But that same vendor I may not have an emotional connection to, so I'm not going to tell them my deep, dark secrets. I'm not going to invite them over for dinner at night. I and mean, There may not be that same level. But then on the emotional side, I may not hire anybody on that side because I know way too much about them. And yeah. so there's this crossover where I want people to think, am I making the contact points at trust at both levels? And then within those two drivers, I believe there are four attributes 
that people long to see in a relationship that's at a high level of trust. And so at the, at the intersection of the in, in, in emotional and experiential side is what I call being trustworthy. And this is different than being trusted. Trustworthy is congratulations, you've earned the right to be trusted. And I'll unpack the, um, the parts of that in just a moment. But up the emotional scale from trustworthiness is the attribute of authenticity. I think people want to connect with you at a very real level. They want to know who you are, see this consistency in who you are, and be able to identify uh, the things that you're all about uh, in your person and make that connection. Along the experiential side is the attribute of dependability, that you provide a consistent and reliable performance to people. And then kind of as an outlier, the fourth attribute I call influence. And this is the idea that you make a difference in people's lives with the things that you have. And I think more and more that's an attribute that that people long to see uh, in the relationship they have, particularly with the leaders that they're drawn to. And we can talk about that, uh, each one of these, as as we go forward. So looking at it again, the, the two drivers are emotion and experience. The attributes are trustworthiness, authenticity, dependability, and influence. It's interesting that you say emotion and experience are the two drivers, because this certainly resonates with my experience, especially working with expert leaders. We tend to trust the expertise. We trust the cognitive. We trust the performance. We trust the, if you say this is right in your area of expertise, I will absolutely trust you. Mm. But I often say that doesn't necessarily mean I trust you, the person, and I'm certainly not going to trust you with a deep, dark secret I'm only going to trust you so far. So I trust the experience. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Whereas mm-hmm. the emotion is much more, I connect with you, the human being, mm-hmm. and I trust you because of that connection. Fair summary? Yeah, you are spot on. And, and I think oftentimes leaders uh, often rush to the technical side of it and, and, and spend so much time on that that they lose the opportunity to observe and build on the parts that deal with authenticity, that, that give greater clarity to, to really purpose and, and some of these other ideas that, that will allow people to see you as a leader in a whole different light and, and really connect with you in a whole different light. And when, when things are tough, we revert to emotion. And, and a lot of times as leader, I was talking to somebody just this week um, who had to make a horribly difficult decision in their role as a leader. And they were calling, looking for kind of the messaging counsel that I give. And I gave them the messaging counsel. They, they went and made the announcement, called me the next day and seemed a bit irritated at me that it didn't go well in their words. And I said, well, what do you mean by it didn't go well? Well, they were angry. And I said, well, they're human. They're, they're going to exercise some emotion. This, you just hit them with some very difficult news. They've got to get through it. And, and to build the trust with them that you need to, you've got to let them exercise that emotion. Emotions don't lie. Um, when, we, when we experience an emotion, it's not lying to us. It, it is real. Now, we may be making a wrong assumption that generates that emotion, and those things may need to be corrected over time. But they're real, and if we don't acknowledge that, if we don't engage that, if we don't 
address that, then we're missing a big part about being human. And, and, and let me just add one more thing. You know, we don't accomplish anything except through relationships, and we are wired as human beings to be connected. We are, we are programmed to be a part of community, and, and, and the basis and the foundation of that is going to be trust, and it's going to be the anchor that allows us to have those fulfilling, um, productive, and profitable relationships in our workspace. Fabulous. This, um, I want to come back to this notion about authenticity for a minute. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, or at least I've been discussing a lot lately, this whole notion of vulnerability. Mm. That willingness to show what you truly feel and see and to admit the mistakes that you make and to yeah. reveal your real person, even in its rawest sense. Is that what you mean by authenticity? You, you've described the manifestation of that perfectly. And, and I believe that leaders must get to a place where, where they can feel that vulnerability. There's some, there's some principles, I think, that drive it, though. I believe there are um, about six ideas that contribute to those that we identify as really authentic in our relationships. The first is authentic people have a real clarity of purpose. They, they understand their role they're focused on it, which gives them a sense of consistency in the day-to-day that they have, uh, the way they make decisions, the way they work, the way they address issues, the way they interact with others. The second idea or principle is that they respect everyone. And so to your point about uh, being vulnerable and and being able to um, admit when they're wrong, respect is what drives that. You know, I respect you enough to say, hey, I messed up. I've got to fix that. Uh, we apologize. A very simple way to begin the road to recovery when it comes to uh, earning trust back when it's lost. Uh, we do that because we respect the people we're around. Another attribute of authenticity is presence. They're, they're engaged with the people. They don't just show up on an obligatory standpoint. They make point to engage with people one-on-one. They do face-to-face. They they have that relationship and, and work at it, and it's not just a passing piece. And here's another one, and this one's very difficult for people at times. Authenticity, in my mind, means that you cultivate candor around yourself, that you invite people to speak the truth, that you give them permission to be engaged with you honestly. Uh, And this is an area where if more leaders would open up to this idea, I think we would see far less uh, crisis of conscience that occurs in an organization because somebody will speak up when there's a problem and won't be afraid to speak truth to power when it happens. And I'll give you an example of that in just a minute. Let me round out the last two. The, 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 the next thing that, that people that are authentic do is that they exercise forgiveness. That, that begins with myself. If I make a mistake, I need to let it go, fix it, and move on. But also with people around me. And, and I don't want to get – I don't want people to interpret this as necessarily a morality or sermon-esque idea on um, what forgiveness is. But forgiveness is about me letting go of something. It's about not letting something hold me back from moving forward. And so authentic people are able to do that. And then lastly, they focus on transparency. They are who they say. Their actions match their words, and they 
again, going back to that idea of consistency, do that. But let me go back to candor for just a minute with a quick story. Um, okay. I think that we we have to be available to allow our 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 comrades and our employees and those around us to give us feedback. And I, I ran a public relations firm for about 13 years, was a partner, ran the commercial division, and I got appointed to a bank board, and I was pretty excited about that. Went to my first board meeting. Well, those who are listening who are also immigrants to technology will understand when I say that I had just gotten my first BlackBerry. Um, you know, we, we, we learned to use these new things. And when we got our first Blackberries and realized, wow, I can return all my emails in a day, we were pretty excited about that. Well, I got my first Blackberry and I'm sitting in this bank meeting and lo and behold, a client emails me with a problem and I'm able to answer their question and think to myself, well, this is great. I can, I can multitask. So I answered the question. Well, Wanda, you and I both know that once you answer a question, it creates more questions. And so I got another one back, and lo and behold, I'm sitting there at the table just buried in this email chain. Get back to my office. One of my employees walks in the office, closes the door behind her, says, hey, how was the board meeting? And I said, it was great. And she looks at me and says, how do you know? I said, excuse me? She said, well, I got a call from somebody in the meeting who said that, you were there, but you weren't there, that you checked out, you weren't paying attention, you were wrapped up in something else and really didn't participate at all. To which I had an option. I could either A, tell her to go mind her own business, or B, uh, thank her very much for being candid with me and letting me go fix something that I would have otherwise had no idea was damaging my relationship and my reputation with people. So I got on the phone and I called each member of the board and I apologized for what I had done that day. I apologized for being checked out. And I could end the story there and tell you that it's a nice, warm, fuzzy experience when you know you can make things right on that. But what I will go on to say is that one of the other members of the board was CEO of a hospital in our community. And years later, when he needed somebody to help manage a crisis that he had, he picked up the phone and he called me directly and gave me the business which was a very, very lucrative contract that I know I would not have gotten if his only impression of me was somebody who showed up at a meeting and wasn't paying attention. And so the value of having candor in your relationship is immeasurable. That's two things, though, Roy, in that story. There's the candor, which I want to come back to in a moment, but it also strikes me that ability to focus on what is at there at the moment is a bit of presence. I've got the focus mm-hmm. on what I'm doing right now, and yep. I'm very present in what I'm doing right now and not distracted. Yeah. And that's what makes people feel valued at the end of the day is just that, even if it's just a couple minutes, singularity of focus and of attention. Right. It's um. I think a lot of leaders would say, I cultivate candor, but I can't tell you how many coaching conversations I have with people about how do I go about telling this truth to somebody that doesn't want to hear it. Mm. The amount of hours that are spent worrying about saying it in the right way, some of that is warranted, but some of it is because we make it difficult for people to say it and not necessarily get it perfect. Well, let me, let me add to that because you make a great point just by bringing up the idea of coaching. I think that one of the things I encourage people to do, uh, and, and it falls into cultivating trustworthiness kind of at a core, but 
you have to be a lifelong learner and you have to bring into your life mentors and coaches. And, and for just the reason you talked about, uh, I, like you, I, I get to spend time coaching executives and leaders and, and sometimes there's a point at which they don't know where to turn to to be able to process. There's a point at which they don't have anyone in their organization that they can go to because they're the leader. And, and they may not feel like they can work that out. And so, you know, those listening and, and looking at, at where they're growing, I, I would tell you, you know, cultivate your coaching in and outside of your organization. And, and I pursue things in my life to this day that are purely there so that I can do that, whether it's uh, the groups that I um, join up with and and spend my time um, working together with. Um, I study martial arts. I I have a teacher. I have a master. I have a grandmaster. And those people I subject myself to in as much to learn about being a student and being somebody that can be coached and mentored as it is to achieve the things that we set out to do. Uh, so we have to have those outlets in our life so that we can continue to grow and be able to work things out like that. All right. That's fabulous. Okay. So, Roy, we've got about four minutes before we take a break. I want to go to this whole point about influence because you said kind of the ultimate here of the conjunction of emotion and experience is influential. And that's what we're looking for from our leaders to do. Can you just give me a couple of highlights of what's involved in being influential? Absolutely. Uh, first and foremost, uh, influence people of influence are those who can make choices to be involved in the things that matter and to fight for the things that are important. Um, they, they understand the value of being somebody who uh, leads in a way that brings other people along. Um, they're also very consistent in their actions, which draws people to them. Um, Leaders of influence make physical and public commitments to the things that they're going to do, uh, and that way they hold themselves accountable uh, in a way that that puts them in that place to to get things done. Leaders of influence are able to confront confront the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I think uh, I love Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, where he talks about confronting the brutal facts and being honest about the things that, that need to be done and need to be addressed. Uh, leaders of influence seek out the competency they need to get something done. They exercise an idea that is inherent to the bracelet story I told earlier, and that is humility. That is being willing to say, I don't know, and I'll find out. I don't know, and I'm going to find the right person to help deal with it. I don't know, but I'll go learn what needs to be done. And lastly, people of influence have the courage to finish. You know, we, we see people all the time that come screaming out of the gates and they don't go through those ideas we just talked about. And then they don't exercise courage when it gets difficult and things are left undone. Uh, those of influence have a track record for being able to see things through and to get them done. Fabulous, Roy. This is an incredible um, conversation if you think about just the if you follow every one of these, there's now 12 things that I need to be doing on a daily basis in the small ways if I want to genuinely create trust. Right. So the notion is outrageous trust so that we 
in every day, in every way, in the small things, we're conveying trust in what we do. The trust is created out of the junction of emotion, my connectedness to you, as well as my experience to you. And the high levels where there's a strong emotion or one is being authentic and then the second is being influential. And that's where the 12 items that we just reviewed came through. All right, we're going to take a break. With me today is Roy Reed, who's a leading authority on trust, voted by Trust America and Trust Around the World as one of the top 100 thought leaders influencing trusted business behavior and the author of Outrageous Trust. Now, when we come back, I want to focus on what do you do to repair trust should it be broken? And we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace, Every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, Call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Roy Reed, a leading authority on public relations and business, a counselor, strategist, and coach to a number of Fortune 500 companies, voted one of the top 100 thought leaders, and the author of Outrageous Trust. 
We have been talking about what it takes to create trust, and Roy's notion is that trust is generated by two components, the emotion and the connection, as well as the experience, that I can depend on somebody because of the experience, but the deeper levels of trust where people become truly influential as leaders is where they combine both the emotion and the experience. And we've just been going through the characteristics that make for an influential leader um, and an emotional connection, which Roy calls authenticity. What I want to do at this point is to talk about what to do when trust goes wrong. Um, inevitably, I would assume accidentally, not intentionally, we take an action that's misinterpreted by somebody else or isn't quite what someone else has needed. Back to my interview question of what happened when you let someone down. Mm. And I think it's important to focus on how do I repair it if I've broken trust. So, Roy, what's the secret to repairing trust? One of the things that I want everyone to walk away with in this conversation is you will make this mistake. You will break trust with somebody. The The bracelet story has four or five illustrations in it. We talked earlier about the bracelet my daughter made. And one of them is we're all going to mess up. Every day I mess up. Every single day I say something or do something that could be that trigger and cause me to lose trust with somebody. And the question is, am I intentional and mindful about trust enough to pick up on that and repair that? So the most important thing in my program, the most important idea that I want people to walk away with is really the first guiding principle of outrageous trust, and that is take responsibility for the relationships that you have. As, we, as we're exercising that first attribute of being trustworthy, take responsibility for the relationships that you have. And when you do that, you own it, then you will, you will be more engaged with that relationship. And so one of the exercises that I'll have people do on is that I'll ask them to identify three relationships in their lives. One relationship would be a new one that you need to go get to do something in your work. Maybe there's a new person on your team. Perhaps there's a division head in another part of the company you need to build a relationship with. The other might be um, somebody you've just not had a chance to get to know yet. The second relationship I ask him to look at is one that you have a good relationship with. And the third is one that you need to repair or restore trust with. And with each one, I, I have them look at how that relationship could be made better. So the one that you've got to work on that's new, you know, maybe there's some things that you can be working on that, that will help foster and build it. And the next one that you're already pretty good with, there's some things you could maybe be more present or spend more time with. And it's this third one that usually confounds and, and frustrates people initially when they think about it. A lot of people will go, I just don't know of one. But when they think long and hard enough about it, they realize there is one out there that they need to deal with. And so I tell them, take a look at how you're engaging that relationship at that cornerstone place of trustworthiness. You know, how is that relationship functioning? And more importantly, how do you think you're doing in that relationship as it relates to the following eight things? Do they feel that you're acting with high integrity? Do they feel that you have, do you exercise the right attitude? Are you focused on the most important things in those relationships? Do you take initiative to do the things that matter? 
Um, are you constantly seeking new insight to bring new ideas to the table? Do you exercise perseverance? In other words, when things get tough, are you hanging in there and being part of the solution? Do you turn in your best work first and strive for excellence? And are you sold out and working toward a vision that's bigger than yourself and bringing others along with you? And as you think about those things, as, as I'm taking responsibility uh, for my relationships, if, if I really give examination to a relationship that's broken or challenged, usually as I go down that list, I'm going to find where the disconnect is. I'm going to identify the thing that needs to be addressed, and that's going to open up the door to perhaps something else that I may or may not have done. And so one of the things that I want folks to understand is that within these four attributes, trustworthiness, authenticity, dependability, these smaller things, these ideas, these eight ideas of trustworthiness I just went through, the six ideas that I went through in, in authenticity, those are easy links in the chain to identify and fix. So, for example, let's say that uh, I have a working relationship with somebody and, uh, and, and I say something in a meeting that they misunderstand and they think I've maybe disrespected them and they shut down and they don't, they don't interact with me now. Something's wrong with that. And if I understand that, then I can go to this idea of respect and address that with them. So if I'm more intentional and I have these, these attributes in front of me, if I'm working to deliver on this on a regular basis, it's easier to uncover where the gap is, where the problem is, where the situation is that I need to fix it. And so by taking responsibility of that relationship, it's up to me. And, and I'll tell you something else, I, uh, another example. I had the opportunity to serve as communications director for a very large hospital organization here in Florida. And, and early in my time there, I was trying to get a handle on uh, what our executives needed because we were doing budgets. That's everyone's favorite activity is uh, putting your budget together. And I got to the chief operating officer on my list, and nobody could tell me anything about what his priorities were. Nobody could identify what it was that we needed. And Eventually, I pushed hard enough that I started getting those typical answers that people give when they don't have any substance, like, well, he doesn't understand what we do. He doesn't appreciate our job. He doesn't blah. He doesn't this. He doesn't that. And, folks, those are all code words for we have failed in building a relationship with that person or we have not fixed a problem that we have to that person. And so I asked my boss, the vice president, if I, the lowly director of communications, could go sit with him and see what we needed to do. And so I set up a meeting. I got 15 minutes on a Friday afternoon. He was 10 minutes late. I got five enough time to say, hello, I'm Roy Reed, your new communications director. Have a nice day. But I went back, Wanda, and I went back the week after and the week after, and all I was doing was listening. And all I was trying to find out is what his needs were. And with each of those needs, I was able to identify a way in which the communications team could help. By the time I left the hospital, a few years later, I had a standing Friday two-and-a-half-hour meeting with him. And it wasn't because Roy Reed does anything magic, different, unique, other than make time, take responsibility for the relationship, and work through these ideas to better understand how I can earn that trust, repair the relationship with the people on my team, 
And the last thing that this does, you may fail at restoring the relationship. Human beings aren't perfect. We don't always get it right. And sometimes you're not going to repair the relationship. But in the process of trying to do it, you're going to set an example and become somebody that influences others around you to contribute to a culture of people that are going to be far more focused on and prioritize trust. All right. So let me, two examples come to mind in this. And I really like this notion that you, when people say things like he doesn't understand or he doesn't, you know, it just means we haven't tried. My first example is somebody I coached a couple of years ago who was having a very challenging relationship, different countries, different, totally different cultures, and wow. just could not get, understand each other. Now, they need to do some collaboration for the greater good, but it wasn't working very well. Hmm. As I sat with the individual, I said, so what do you know about this person that's causing so much trouble? And the response was, what do you mean? <laughs> well... Is he a family person? Does he have children? What are his hobbies? Um, and to every single one of those very basic questions, like does this individual that you need this massive collaboration with have a family, yes or no, the answer was, I don't know. <laughs> and at the end, <laughs> at the wow. end of a couple of, couple of these, he goes, okay, I get it. And the comment was, if that had been a client... I would have done all of that stuff. But because wow. it's a colleague, we don't tend to focus on that level of attention and getting to know people. That's a beautiful example. All right. And the wonderful story about all of this is, so the next time they were together face-to-face, -face, they sat down for a meal, and it turns out that the interpretations that my client was so crazy about were actually false. That they had a lot in common. And so what got forged then is a relationship that sort of did some fabulous things for the company. Now, that's my story. Now, I want to flip it on its head. Every now and then you find, or I find regularly, somebody that I'm coaching and they believe that a former senior supporter has now turned on them. Oh. Okay, I have a case at the moment. Hmm. It's interesting what we use as evidence that I can no longer trust the actions of an individual. And I think in this particular case, it's false assumptions. So talk to us a little bit about the assumptions we make about people. Wow. I, you know, therein lies uh, a whole show in itself to talk about uh, how we get to decisions. And it is a huge shortcoming on all of us when we assume things like that. And, and again, going back to this idea of taking responsibility for the relationship, there's risk involved here. This is that vulnerability that you talked about earlier. This is a big deal. And a lot of times leaders are falsely taught that if you move from your position of strength, quote unquote, if you, if you show any sign of weakness, like, oh, I need help, or oh, I don't know all the answers, or oh, then you're putting yourself at the wrong risk. And I would argue that those are the times where people see the greatest strength in you is when you go to them and say, I don't understand this, and I need to know 
more about this. I don't understand, you know, I'm having a hard time getting through this and I need you to help me make sure that we get to the right place together. And, you know, it's amazing the the little things like that that can turn a relationship in a completely different direction. And you find that oftentimes rivals become allies and collaborations um, become completely new opportunities. I worked with a large utility company for a long, long time, and when we came into their employment uh, as their communications consulting group, uh, they were having all kinds of trouble both uh, inside the organization communicating and being consistent, and then when you do that on the outside of the organization, inconsistency breeds doubt, doubt creates fear, and fear is the enemy of trust. It is the enemy of, of your organization's culture. And so the second attribute or guiding principle that I like to tell people after taking responsibility is that you've got to build trust from the inside out. Okay, You've got to hold yourself to a higher accountability of this if you expect others around you to do the same. And so we challenge leadership to do this very thing and set up a meeting where we brought in 100 people from around the state to sit in a room together and to go through the accountabilities that the organization has and and be able to connect with each other in a way that now when I'm doing business in one part, it was consistent with how we were doing business in the other part. And so the external marketplace saw a level of behavior that was the same. And so in in that smaller circle that you were describing earlier where somebody feels like they've been turned on, they're going to have to probably step out of the, I love your title, step out of their comfort zone and have a conversation to determine that. Otherwise, it's going to be a mystery that turns into an even greater problem over time. And it's not uncommon, by the way, for people to feel that. Um, When I'm called into an organization and we're dealing with a crisis, a lot of times that crisis is one that's self-inflicted on the inside. And they've made a decision that's put different people at odds, and somebody who's not married to or connected to that has to come in and help resolve that. And I I will actually say to groups sometimes, as I'm helping you all resolve this, I'm going to say very honest things, very candid things to each of you. And I may say something to you that you don't want to hear, but you need to. And at that point, your first emotional response is going to be that I've turned on you and I'm taking somebody else's position, when in fact I'm trying to enlighten everybody to the things that they may need to do to get us to the place where we need to be. So it's taking that responsibility and and working to build it from the inside out, and therefore at times reaching out to other people to surface things that need to be dealt with. It's interesting, this this notion, I like your notion that there's inconsistency and inconsistency breeds doubt, that breeds fear, and that's the enemy of trust, and that the solution, the anecdote to that one is to actually have the courage to have the conversation, which is the step out of the comfort, uh, the comfort zone, and to be able to say that uncomfortable part, like, I feel you've turned on me. You bet. And you know what we're doing when we do that? We're exercising really kind of that fourth guiding principle. And at that point, we're being good stewards with the trust others have given us. You know, when we when we exercise that step out of the comfort zone, when we are, are asking people the difficult questions, when we're when we're 
working on that performance and communicating consistently, uh, we're being a good steward of the trust people gave us. And, and that leads to that area of influence that we have. And, and so great leaders are able to transcend those moments because of a consistency in how they communicate. That helps contribute to that dependability that people see. And we all know those people, right? They're the ones that even when they fail to deliver something on time, they manage expectations in such a way that you're like, man, I give this person my work every single time because they consistently manage that. They, they, they know that I've given them my trust and they manage it and they care for it and they steward it in a way that is just precious. And I don't want to miss that. That's fabulous. All right. So all other conversation, how we have some of these more courageous conversations. Let's talk for a minute about the different personalities. Um, no, before I do that, let me, I want to do a different one. I want to go back to your original notion of its experience and emotion that drives drives the level of trust. And so experience is driven because I've seen you in the trenches. I've seen how you work. I know you're dependable. I trust your expertise. Mm -hmm. And emotion is driven by more connection. Mm -hmm. There are a number of studies that say that we connect with people with whom we have more in common. Mm -hmm. So in common could be... Um, some of the classic things like gender or racial ethnicity or background or socioeconomic status or university or sports or youngest child in the family or the oldest child in the family or whatever. Hmm. Is that your experience that we make a quick connection, perhaps not a very deep one, perhaps a false one based on what we have in common? I would say the natural tendency is that we are drawn together by things that we do have in common. And so um, going back to this idea of taking responsibility for the relationships that we have or the ones that we need to go build, that's going to mean stepping again, loving your title, outside your comfort zone. Um, One of the reasons I came here to work at at the University of Central Florida and uh, left my private practice was when sitting down with the dean, uh, he looked at me and I I asked him, this is actually my alma mater, so I got to come back and and, uh, go to college every day for a living. Uh, He sat down with me. I, I said, Paul, what are you trying to accomplish? He said, Roy, you know, if we graduate students here with degrees, then we're doing what everyone else does. But if we can if we can create people that go to the workplace every day and they're great communicators and collaborators, they are good decision makers using real-time data, they're problem solvers, and they're people, and this is the point I want to make, that are willing to take risks, get outside their comfort zone, and particularly work with people different than themselves to get better results, then we've done significantly more than a lot of people do. And, and we're working to create that culture, and it's that last idea that speaks so loudly to me about getting to this level of outrageous trust and, and a willingness that you have to surround yourself with people in every capacity that are different than yourself, to break down these walls and ideas that people surround themselves with too much of them, of them and then all you get is the same boring thing. I love this new commercial that Android has where it has this magnificent piano player 
and there's two pianos, and on one, it's the regular 88 keys, and all the, all the notes are different. He's playing this beautiful piece. He turns around, and they've tuned every key to be the same, and he's going at it, but you just hear the same note over and over and over again. And that's what we don't want to have. We want to have the beautiful concerto. We want to have the beautiful outcomes in business. And we want to create real return on our investment for this. Trust is not just a warm, fuzzy idea. There are results that we get when we create a culture of trust. We get better outcomes. We reduce risk, which has a cost to it. We get a greater retention of our good employees instead of having to go out and hire people all over again. Efficiencies improve. Our brand is strengthened and we create advocacy in the marketplace, and that leads to something that as a crisis communicator I can't buy, and that is the benefit of the doubt when something goes wrong. But if we're not willing to extend ourselves out and break down some cultural barriers, break down some likes and dislikes, and really open that door up, then we haven't achieved outrageous trust. We're settling for average. So, Roy, do you believe then that it's hard or maybe I should say impossible to create trust with our customers if we haven't started with trust with ourselves? I love that. I, I, believe, that, um, I believe that you can reach a certain level of trust, but you're not going to have a sustainable trust if you're not holding yourself accountable. Because, you know, if we're not concentrated on building trust from within, it, it, we're going to fall prey to a shortcut at some point. We're going to shortchange somebody to meet a short-term need. We're going to um, we're going to be pressured to do something. I, I look around at some of the big crises that have occurred in the last decade, uh, and I can't help but think that if there was a leader in the organization who was consistently reminding people about how you're supposed to be and act and do. Uh, I, I talk about in my program and I work with organizations to create a contract or a creed or whatever they want to call it that's comprised of perhaps the 10 things that need to happen on a daily basis or the 10 ideas that we're all going to subscribe to to help cultivate, build, repair, or restore trust in our relationships. And it reminds us every day what we're going to do. And we use these things as monuments to both inspire and encourage, and we use them to correct, change, and redirect behavior. So your, the answer is, I believe we have to work on it from within if we're going to truly build the kind of sustainable trust with our customers, with our employees, and with our community. It certainly turns on its head, this notion of being the trusted advisor. And that's a topic for another show. Roy, fabulous to have you with us today. There's so many points to come out of this. I just want to highlight a couple of things that stick out for me. One is this notion that real trust comes from being intentional and mindful and thoughtful in all the small things that we do every single day, recognizing that it is going to go wrong sometimes and that if I am focused and aware and I have people who speak to me candidly, I create a kind of uh, environment of candor, then I've got a better chance of recognizing and doing something about it. Um, I like your model, too, that trust is created out of both emotion and experience, and that leads to 
four attributes that really matter. One is dependable, two is often um, trustworthy, three is authenticity, and the fourth one is the ultimate level of influence. And this notion that, you know, you can repair it, that there are things you can do if you analyze how you are showing up in a host of ways. Great insight, Roy. Thank you very much. No, you're very welcome. Okay, well, next week we have Karen Hurt, and we're going to talk a slight variation on this theme, but how do you manage a challenging boss? So that person that's not the easiest to get along with, what are the tactics for making that one work? And I might also add building trust there as well. So join us next week. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.